I had something neat happen to me. You know, Saturday, I always like to go for a prayer walk and just spend a bunch of time with the Lord and wander around Laura Gibson's and hit the beach and talk with the Lord and wrestle through uh, the message some more. And um, I had something written into my notes last week and I decided that I wasn't going to share it with you. Kind of just while I was up on the pulpit and we were talking last week. I, I, I just want to start and launch into this uh, section of text this morning with just a couple of personal testimonies. So um, if you were here last week, you might recall that we were talking about the defilement of the flesh and the defilement of the spirit and that through repentance, God renews the heart and brings the heart for ministry. And so, you know, here I am, I'm out on this prayer walk and I'm walking down the road and I see someone coming towards me and it's somebody that I know and it's somebody that I've prayed for. I just know from around the neighborhood and I felt really strongly impressed by the spirit of God when he asks you what you are doing, tell him what you're doing. Tell him that you're out here for a prayer walk and you're prepping for church. And so I thought, okay, well, okay, Lord, whatever. So I get walking down the road and sure enough, I stop. And he says, first thing, what are you doing out here? I thought, wow. And I said to, my, I said to him, I said, uh, oh, I, I'm just out for a walk. Oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. And off we went. And I thought, you dummy. You know, I, I, I walked away from that. I thought, you know, the Lord warned me. He gave me the heads up. And I, I missed this like beautiful opportunity. And so as I'm walking and praying, I'm just repenting before the Lord. And I'm like, wow, I'm like really going through this lesson that's hap- that I got to teach on tomorrow. And um, so I said to the Lord, I said, I'll go around the block, God. And if I find him, I'll... Uh, I'll do what you asked me to do. And so I went around the block and I never found him and I lived with it for the rest of the week and thought that I might share that with you last Sunday as I was talking about the defilement of the spirit. But I, I thought, ah, no, nah, I'm not going to. Well, yesterday I, I, went for, I went for my walk and I was down on the beach for quite a while and came up off of Pebbles Beach and boom, there he is right there again. Perfect timing. And uh, he says, hey, what are you doing out here? You're just out for your walk again, eh? I said, yeah. Yeah, I'm out prepping for church and praying and talking to God. And we had a great conversation. And it was just this neat thing that I felt God had redeemed in my life after I had screwed up. Isn't that cool? Um, you know, as we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this text, this, this section of 2 Corinthians has been on my heart for uh, months. And uh, I'm excited to deal with its content. Uh, Paul is going to talk about giving and he's going to encourage us to give and some exa- and share some examples of giving. And uh, just to give you a little background on that and why I'm excited to share it with you is because I want to bring you into something just the leaders have been praying about and elders what we yap about and stuff like that. And um, you know, in fits and spurts, one of the things that we like to do is, is meet early one morning a week. And like I said, it happens in fits and spurts. And my heart is when I get together with our church elders that we would just hang out and then that we would pray about pertinent stuff and just build our friendship and then pray about the things around the church. And, um, and so uh, we were doing that coming out of the summer and we were looking at our finances after 
how, how the summer had gone and all that stuff. And we're like, whew, things are tight. And so um, we began to just pray. And the guys encouraged me, look, if, if we need to teach on giving, then you should teach on it. We want to hear it from our pastor. You got the freedom to do it. If you feel the Holy Spirit, just put away your series that you're doing and go for it. And so uh, it was a Thursday morning. I said, okay, I'll tell you what. Um, I'm going to take the day and I've got this passage plan to teach on. I'm going to start this series in Ruth. I'll lay it out before the Lord and I'll lay out the potential of doing this and I'll just see what the Lord puts on our hearts and I'll let you guys know. And so uh, went to prayer, began to just sense that the Lord was saying, start the book of Ruth. Go there and just stick to the plan, man. Don't swerve from the plan. Just stick with what I called you to do, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We'll deal with the stuff when we need to deal with the stuff. And so as a, as a leadership team, um, we yapped about it again. We said, okay, we'll do what, thing, what you do when things are tight. When things are tight in your house, you batten down the hatches. When things are tight in your house, you put, you know, the extra cup of water into the soup and you cross your T's and you dot your I's and you take care of business. And, you know, God's people, you, God's people were faithful. God was faithful. And, you know, we came through the fall and we met every bill, paid every single thing, faithful to our missionaries, faithful to our salaries with money left over at the end of the year, more than we had ever had as a church. And it was just cool to watch God work in that. And we got to be a little bit more generous at Christmas than maybe I even thought would happen. And the Lord just demonstrated his faithfulness to us as a leadership team. And it was fun to watch God work and to see what he would do. And now we come to this passage that, that I and our church leadership's been praying about for, for months. And I believe God really wants to speak out of this passage to our church from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And my confidence grew in that this week because I had a week absolutely full of spiritual warfare. From front to back, right to left, inside out, it was warfare. Warfare, you know. My shoulder did this weird thing and just went out, man. Yesterday, I'm like, what the heck is going on with my shoulder? Uh, you know, Wednesday afternoon, Brian and I sat down and we tried to launch the new website like I told you was going to launch and just pff, wall, 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 wall. And hopefully that'll be up this week. Kind of like the nursery. And, uh, you know, there was meetings and there was emails and there was uh, lots of weird things. And... Even, even something happened to me that's only happened once before since I've been at CTK is that I had, I had a dream about something that I felt the Lord had spoken really clearly. And all I'm saying is this, look, this was a total grind of a week, an absolute grind. And I say that to give glory to the faithfulness of God because I come into the pulpit this morning with joy in my heart and to emphasize that there is something in this message that I believe God wants to speak to our church about. Now, Paul's going to move the discussion to giving and as we've seen through the first half of this book, what have we been talking about? Ministry. Ministry. I hope that's been landing. You know, those are message. If it hasn't been landing, this week you can go back on the website and listen to the messages, okay? The service to which God has called us to. He's called us to the ministry. Not just 
the, the paid staff and all these things as we've continued to say, but all of us are ministers, ambassadors of Christ. We have been given the ministry of the spirit, the ministry of the new covenant. The, uh, we've been given in deed and in word, uh, the ministry and the message of reconciliation, proclaiming to this world that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. God has called us by his grace to be consistent, to consecrate our lives to him, to set them apart for the purpose of ministry in everything. Everything is ministry. That's what Paul's been telling us. Everything. And uh, at the heart of consistent, consecrated ministry is this, what we talked about last week, a repentant heart. That's at the heart of ministry. Consistent and consecrated ministry. Because as our hearts grow in dependency on God's power. Uh, or on God's cross. On the cross of the Lord Jesus. God, God's power gives us the ability to deal with the fruits and the roots of sin. Like we talked about last week. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 1 uh, through 7. We're all about Paul painting this picture of ideal ministry. He's talking about his conflict with the church. But really he paints a picture of ideal ministry. And now here we come to chapter 8. And what he's going to do is he's going to change the theme of what he's going to talk about. He's going to shift to this idea of giving. Now how do you move from ministry to giving? I guess that's my thought as I was looking at this. Um. How does Paul do that? Why does he write about giving? How does he make the move from the topic of ministry to the topic of giving? Where does the leap happen? Well, I would say it happens here with something very simple Jesus Christ said. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Where is your heart? That's what I called this message. Where is your heart? See, if the message and the ministry of reconciliation has your heart, then it will also have your pocketbook. That's what Paul's going to tell us. If the message of reconciliation has your heart, it will have your pocketbook. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ will mess with your wallet. And, and so Paul moves this conversation from ministry to the practical aspect of ministry. And it's this, God's people share in the burden of God's work. They carry the weight of ministry with their finances. And so let's just, let's open with a word of prayer as we come to God's word this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you are here and present with us. We, we believe that in faith, Lord. Your word tells us where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Lord Jesus, this morning we stand on that promise. We welcome you here. We pray, Jesus, as, as we deal with the written word, that we would be led to you, the living word. I pray, Jesus, that, that we would spur one another on uh, through this time together this morning towards love and good deeds. Lord, would you bless this time? Would you, uh, by your power and by your spirit, speak to our hearts? And so, Lord, we just give uh, this next little while to you and ask that you speak to us through the word. In Jesus' name, amen. And so, Paul, here he's going to dive into this new section of this letter in 2 Corinthians and what he's going to start with is this, is some encouragements and some examples uh, to the Corinthian church. And the first example he gives them is the Macedonians. Check it out in verse 1. He says this, 
We want you to know brothers about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now a little bit of background because it really helps the context of what Paul is saying here. Uh, In those times during uh, the rule of Rome, Greece was broken into two parts. That's where Corinth was in Greece. It was broken into two provinces, the north and the south. In the north, you had Macedonia. And in the south, you had uh, Achaia. I never know how to say this one. Achaia, I'm going to say. In the south, in Achaia, was where the city of Corinth was located. Paul, as we've already seen, was writing this book from the north in Macedonia. So he's in another province. He's up north from the city. Now Macedonia was, it had cities that you're familiar with in the New Testament. Cities like Philippi, like Berea, like Thessalonica. Those cities were all in the north in Greece. And in the south was Corinth. Now Macedonia and Achaia were very different Roman provinces. I'd almost could say they're like, it was kind of like Alberta and BC right now. Okay? And, and the south, AKI, was like Alberta. That's where the money was. And, you know, in the north, they were just surviving. The reason was this, is that Rome had financially plundered Macedonia. Uh, in a sense, or, you know, due to Roman plundering, the result was this, is that the people, the economy, the churches, there wasn't money. There, there just wasn't. In fact, the north, Macedonia, was, had been the original home place of Alexander the Great. And so when the Romans conquered the Greeks, man, they put a thumb on that province. And they, mer- they made sure they crushed them. And so Macedonia, financially pressed. In the church, financially pressed everywhere. In the south, where Corinth was, whole different story. Money was flowing, man. Money was flowing in the economy. And not only that, uh, money was flowing within the church, even among God's people. And so Paul begins to share with the church in Corinth, uh, this church in the south, the faithfulness of the churches in the north, Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, who even in the severe test of affliction, even under the extreme poverty, overflowed in a wealth of generosity towards the kingdom of God. Now, a little more history in regards to what Paul's beginning to talk about here is this. Back in Jerusalem, at, right at that moment as Paul is writing, the birthplace of Christianity, Christians were living in very severe conditions. The book of Acts tells us, you know, Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 7, about the persecution that began to come down on, on the Christian church in Jerusalem. And It got so bad, as you see in the book of Acts, that Christians just began to disperse from Jerusalem all over the the Roman world, the diaspora. And God used that to see that the gospel was spread throughout all the the known world. Uh, From Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth. And so many Christians left Jerusalem for far off places and they took with them the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have to consider what was going on in Jerusalem for this to come into perspective for us. Uh, if, you know, you have to consider the culture of the Hebrew. Of the Jewish man or woman who might have surrendered their life to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They were considered traitors of their people, considered traitors of their culture, uh, confessing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior was to be a traitor to your family. I mean, remember just how the book of Acts tells us how Saul, who became Paul, persecuted the church in Jerusalem, even to go as far as to Damascus to arrest people with the authority of the religious leaders. And so what you had in Jerusalem was many Christians who were cut off from their family. Uh, if you were a businessman and you became a Christian, well then consider it the end of your business. And so, you know, following Jesus was a dangerous commitment and it meant poverty in Jerusalem to follow Christ. And so all that history to tell you that on this missionary journey, Paul and his companions, as they've been traveling around, what they have been doing is they have been taking up a collection in the churches to bring back to Jerusalem for the persecuted Christians there. To help those who were suffering because of their commitment to Christ. And so in Macedonia, the Christians, Philippi and Thessalonica and Bria, they were, they were not rich. They had their own afflictions. Uh, they struggled with their own poverty. But because of the grace of God that was among them, Paul says, in, in the joy that they had in serving the Lord Jesus Christ, they overflowed from their hearts generosity. Check out verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. You know, the first thing that you see about the Macedonians is this, is that they gave according to their means. You know, uh, like I said, the Romans, when they had conquered that land, they made sure to absolutely plunder it. And so the churches there did not have a lot of money. And so I imagine whatever Paul had received from them probably wasn't a huge gift. But he said this, they gave according to their means. In fact, they gave beyond their means. Which means that they gave to the work of the Lord sacrificially. You know, you, you, you can't but read this passage and begin to think of the widow's mites from the gospel. Remember that story? You know, in Luke, I think it's chapter 21 where... Jesus was sitting in the temple grounds and one day with his disciples, he watched as people brought their gifts to the house of God. You know, they didn't pass around the offering plate actually. They had a box where they uh, put the offering kind of like what we do a little bit on our side. They got the jars. They didn't pass around the offering plate, but there was this box and there the people would place their gifts to the Lord. And Jesus, the scripture tells us, saw the rich putting in their gifts. And then he saw this poor widow come and put in her two small copper coins, the mites. And Jesus uttered to his disciples those famous lines, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they contribute out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. See, that poor widow gave only a small offering. But like the church in Macedonia, Macedonia, she gave according to her means. Actually, she gave sacrificially beyond her means and she gave all she had to live on. 
See, the rich gave from the wealth of their bank accounts, but the widow gave from the wealth of her heart. Do you see the difference? The rich gave from the wealth of their bank accounts, and she gave from the wealth of her heart. See, Christian giving, as it has been said, is not estimated in terms of quantity, but in terms of sacrifice. And the church gave of their own accord. See, the beauty of the Macedonian's gift is this, as Paul talks about it, that no one twisted their arm. I love that. You know, Paul didn't, Paul didn't said, hey man, you get a hard copy cover of my latest book for every hundred bucks you give. You know, he wasn't mailing his hankies and fleecing the bank accounts of old ladies. He never claimed that the ministry was going to shut down if the money didn't roll in. You know, Paul didn't have a professional fundraising staff. No, the, the hearts of God's people, they gave from their hearts. You know, once in a while, uh, someone says to me this, they say, you know, wouldn't the giving go up at CTK if we just pass the offering around? You know, I, I get that once in a while. And, uh, you know, let's can the jar thing and let's pass the basket around. Wouldn't the offering go up? And you know, I, I, I would say that this is what I always say. Yeah, you know, it might. It might go up. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with passing the basket. This is just what we've chosen to do because of this reason. There is a beautiful freedom to not put money front and center all the time. I mean, I love that about our church. I love that money is not front and center all the time. You know what I, I love? I love it when someone new comes to CTK and after the service, they come up to me and they're like, uh, you never passed the basket. How does this church take up offering? No one twisted their arm, but they actually came out of their own accord. They came with a desire from their own heart. They came to the house of God prepared to worship and to practice the grace of giving to their father in heaven. I love that. And there is something at the heart of the Macedonian giving. It's, it's in verse 5. And it should be at the heart of all of our giving. It says this. They gave themselves to the Lord first. They gave themselves. See that, that right there is the heart of giving. To give your life to the Lord. To give your heart to the Lord first. See, in giving, the real issue is never money. That's what I want to tell you. The real issue is never money. It's giving of ourselves to the Lord. Then the right kind of giving is just a natural outflow. See, they gave to the Lord first. Then, by the will of God, they gave to us. In fact, Paul says the Macedonians actually begged. They begged for the favor of taking part in the relief effort for the Jerusalem Christians. And Paul, you know, he never expected it. As I read this, I think, man, he was blown away. He was blown, it blew his mind to watch the faithfulness of these little churches. And, and I think that's why he started with the Macedonians to say, look at these guys, man. I, I just have to tell you what's going on with these churches. How encouraging. So then Paul then gives his, this exhortation and another encouragement to the Christians. It's in verse 6, uh, to the Corinthians in verse 6. He says, accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete this act of grace among you. So Paul says, uh, 
Appropriately, he urged Titus to see that the same thing happened in Corinth. Uh, Titus, as we saw last week, it accidentally, but God ordained, met up with uh, Paul in Macedonia. And Paul, in turn, sent him back to Corinth with this letter. Uh, with the function that he should see that an offering was taken up in that church as well. That they should collect for those who were hurting. And they were to give the collection. To, the church was to give the collection to Titus and the men who were with him as we're going to see. And then they would in turn bring it back to Paul and the men who were with him. And they would in turn take it back to Jerusalem distribute among the poor there. Titus was to make sure that the church followed through with a previous commitment. To take up a collection for the persecuted church. And I guess maybe part of the reason uh, Paul had to specifically address this. Was that this, remember there was this whole conflict going on between him and the Corinthians. Uh, they had been at odds as we've seen well enough. Maybe the trouble between them had hindered the taking up of the collection. But the church... Um, in Corinth, had at some point in the past, actually he's going to say a year earlier, uh, committed to give and they had not yet followed through. And so Paul says to Titus, see that they complete among you this act of grace. And I was just thinking, you know, we can have such favorable thoughts towards the idea of giving. You know, we can intend in our hearts to give. At times we can uh, think about giving but you know what Paul's saying is, is, look, it doesn't matter if you don't give. Thoughts, intentions, whatever, ideas, intentions, vows, resolutions. They're useless unless there's action. Kingdom of God's always about action. And there comes a time to follow through with a personal commitment to the Lord in this area of grace. So Paul called the Corinthians. Get her done, guys. And Titus will help you do the task. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, I don't know. I, I think Paul was a really sarcastic guy sometimes. <laughs> I read his stuff, and I'm like, really, Paul? They excel in faith, and in speech, and, and in knowledge, and earnest. I think there's a touch of sarcasm to this text. You know, it's all right to use a little bit of sarcasm to drive her home sometimes. I think Paul was doing that. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Now, the interesting thing is this. This is already, I think, the third, maybe the fourth time in this little text, this little piece of text, that Paul has referred to the giving, to the collection, to the giving of our money as an act of grace. As an act of grace. You remember that old acronym that we always talk about for grace? What is it? God's riches at, yeah, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's how we usually define the word grace. And I think that's a great definition, actually. I use that all the time. I love it. Um, but I'm reminded that the Greek word for grace is charis. It's actually where we get the English word charity. Charity. It's a direct derivative from a Greek word. See, giving charity is an act of grace, an act of unmerited favor. And Paul says, see that you excel at it. See that you excel at this act of grace. 
And to me, that means this, that we can conclude some things about giving. Firstly, this, the ability to give and the heart to give comes from God. See, a person will not give unless God touches their heart. See, the heart is the root and giving is the fruit. And so the heart has to be touched first. You know, I, I, I once worked with a pastor and, and I, I loved him. He's a God, godly man. And um, he, he used to complain about one couple in our church and it bugged me, man. So I just, you, you don't know them. You don't know the church. You don't know the pastor. None of that stuff. So I'm going to share this. But you know, um, he would complain because they weren't involved enough in the church. But I was like the young guy and I'd look around and I'd go, man, they're there every freaking Sunday. They are there every Sunday. You can count on those people, man. They are there. Not only that, I, I know, not because I know the details, but I know they're faithful. I know they're faithful in their tithes and offerings to the house of God. I mean, that showed that there was a work of grace happening in their heart. Whatever, whatever else you wanted to judge them by, they were there. They were involved and they were committed to that place because their hearts led them to give and to be faithful. See, the ability to give and the heart to give comes from God. And our giving should be like God's grace. I mean, you think about God's grace. Our giving should be like his grace. You know, God gives us grace not based on something in us, but based on something that is in him. And, and the motive for your sh giving should be you. God gives of his grace because of who he is. And you should give to the Lord because who you are in God. It be, should be something in your heart that motivates you. I love God. Good, then therefore give. I, I see, you know, all that I have as being an act of God's grace. Good, then therefore give. I treasure the kingdom of God. Therefore give. Our giving should be like God's grace. But the crazy thing about God's grace is this and what he offers to us. You know, think about salvation for a moment. God offers grace to humanity without an expectation of payment in return. Hard to imagine this, but I, I, I often th think that God gives me grace with the expectation of what I'm going to give him back. And it's hard to imagine, but that's actually a, it's a mistake. It's wrong. See, how can I pay back God for the grace that he's given me? See, if you think that you can pay God back, then I don't think you understand how far God has stooped to extend his grace to you. So that you can experience his grace. You will never match what God has done for you. Remember what he did? He sent his one and only perfect son who eternally dwelled in heaven at his father's right hand. And Jesus took on flesh and he became sin and he died on the cross. And he was buried in a tomb and he rose from the dead so that I could be and you could be reconciled back to God. And so that we could become the righteousness of God. Look, you don't pay that back. You can't pay it back. You don't pull out your checkbook and say, how much is this going to cost for us to even the score here, Lord? Doesn't happen. 
And so, you know, once the act of giving is centered on the idea of grace, it just begins to remove the sense of duty, the sense of legalism, the sense of mechanics, the sense of pressure, the sense of obligation. It becomes a freedom in your life where Paul says, do it with a cheerful heart. Give. See, the scripture tells us that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you won't even the score with God in, the, in your giving. And so you need to take on in your giving the same attitude that God has. As you extend the giving of grace in your life, the grace of giving, remember that it's more blessed to give than to receive. And if you expect, uh, you know, to even the score, then where's the grace in that? There's no grace in that. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Paul says this in verse 8. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. And so Paul says this, you know, I'm, again, I, I'm not commanding Christians to give. That's what the government does. <laughs> the government, you know, they exact from you by command. And I, I didn't look it up, so, you know, Conservatively, what do they take from us? 40% of our incomes? That's probably pretty conservative, I think. I don't give it, they take it. It's called tax. It's not a tax in the kingdom of God. God does not work that way. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God does it? It's not a command. Even in the New Testament, actually, we are not taught to give 10%. Talk about this idea of the 10% a little bit, I think, because I think it's important. Because this we're going to see is this. We are to give according to our means and for it to be sacrificial. Sacrificial. I would say I think 10% is a good starting point. But let me throw out an idea to you. Let me mess with you. Can I mess with you? If you earn $50,000 a year, what's 10% of that? Come on, church. 5000 bucks. You know, and you know, it would be tough to make a go over on that kind of income on the Sunshine Coast, but you can do it. It can be absolutely done. You can live here on that and five grand. If you make five hundred thousand dollars a year, what's ten percent of that? Fifty thousand bucks. So you got you got left with four hundred and fifty thousand dollars to live on. Now you, let me ask you, who gave more sacrificially to the kingdom of God? The one who made fifty or the one who made five hundred? See, our giving, as Paul says, is, is proved genuine in the nature of its love and how we give sacrificially. See, nobody needs that kind of money to live on. We like it. Our culture promotes it, but not in the kingdom of God. Throw out 10%, my friends. Throw it out. God is calling you to live by what you have and to do so sacrificially for the kingdom of God. See, Paul expected the rich Corinthians to give more than the poor Macedonians. Paul actually gives another example of giving. It's a pretty good one. Let's check it out. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, this is a good one. That though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. So that you by his poverty might become rich. Let me give you the scenario in another way. And you decide now who's got the worst situation, okay? Man makes $50,000 a year. He goes bankrupt and he moves to the downtown east side and lives on the street. 
That sucks. Another man makes $500,000 a year, goes bankrupt, loses everything, and moves to the downtown east side to live on Hastings. Whose experience is worse? Which one? The rich guy. The rich guy's experience is worse because he knew the life of riches. See, he fell further. Now consider Jesus Christ is what Paul is saying. How far did Jesus descend to lower himself to the poverty of human existence? Him who was in very nature God, humbled himself and he became a man. See, we have no idea what it truly cost Jesus to become a man. You know, could we possibly complain about losing our lives in service to him? Could we ever outgrace the Lord Jesus Christ? Could we even ever even the scorecard with him? See, Paul's saying this, look, if you can't, if you can't get this idea of the, the grace of giving figured it out in your life, then, then just spend some time meditating on the person of who Jesus Christ is. That though he was rich, he became poor. Rich. How rich was Jesus? Well, with his words, he hung the sun and the moon and the stars in the sky. And by his power, the word says, he sustains all things. You know, last night on that little walk, before I ran into that fell, I was down on the beach and the sky was clear and it was beautiful. And the stars were out. And I, I could not help but thank God you holding... Jesus, you are holding every one of those stars. Not one is missing because you put them there and you hold them in the sky. Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the Trinity, who is with the majesty in heaven, perfection, dwelling in perfect light. You know, I, I really, when it talks about Jesus and where he came from, I don't know how to mind the depths of what Paul is saying. I, I really don't. You know, Christ was rich. Rich in what? Rich in possessions? Yeah, I'd say so. Whole universe. Rich in honor? Yeah. A throne in heaven, angels, cherubim, seraphim, whole nine. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty rich in honor. Just like Isaiah saw. Isaiah chapter 6, all of them gathered around him, singing and worshiping him for his holiness. Rich in love? Yeah, I'd say he was rich in love. You know, dwelling in perfect unity with his father and with the spirit of God. See, when we talk about Jesus, we are talking about wealth that is beyond imagination. We are speaking of the preeminent person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we speak of him coming down to this earth, his poverty, his descent, his birth, you know, Bethlehem is only hallowed ground because Jesus was there. I've been there. We're going to go there in October. Hated it. There's one place I never want care to go back to, Bethlehem, man. It's like, it sucks now and it sucked back then. I, I don't know what to tell you. It's true. Bethlehem was only hallowed ground because of Jesus' presence. Look, don't sanitize the place of his birth. The stable, a manger. Have you been in a barn lately? 
You know, I, w- I was thinking, like, when was the last time I was really exposed to a barn? It was a few years ago when we went to the PE. Ever gone through those barns? I mean, the sp- I think you have to wash your clothes when you come out of there to get the smell off you. Um, you know, not only that, not only does the smell get to you, you got to watch where you step. And I wonder how often during that stay in the barn that Joseph had to grab the shovel to get rid of a pile of fresh, you know what? To remove a fresh cow pie. You know, last time I, ch- I asked someone to say, you know, or said to one of my children, were you born in a barn? It was not a compliment. It was not a compliment. But it was to associate them with animals. See, our Lord Jesus descended. He was rich, but he made himself nothing. He took on the form of servant, of a servant. Born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself, even becoming obedient unto death. But here's the thing about Jesus, you know, think of the man going to the Hastings Street because of bankruptcy. Jesus was never bankrupt. His riches were never taken from him. Rather, he gave them up so that you by his poverty might become rich. See, there's nothing that stabs at the heart of the Christian like pondering and meditating on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want You want the Holy Spirit to touch your heart, to make you a giver? Then meditate on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he gave up so that you might become a child of God. Verse 10, Paul says this. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish it well. Finish it as well. So that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing of what you have. Completing it out of what you have. Verse 12. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. See, the Corinthians, I guess, a, a year earlier had expressed a heart and a desire to give and to help out. And now Paul says, look, it's time to follow through. There's a follow there's a time to follow through with the desire that God has put in your heart. I, I would boil Paul's words down to this statement. Talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. And the kingdom of God functions on that old principle, put your money where your mouth is. That's how the kingdom of God functions. And the awesome thing about the kingdom of God is this, is that God does not, listen to this, God does not expect us to give from what we do not have. Which I guess, you know, in our culture, we might try to rationalize as an excuse. You know, we live in a culture that is sick with a disease and it's called overspending. The older generations, if we were, you know, to go around this room or to think back of our grandparents, live with the principle that if you don't have the money, then you don't buy it. But in Canada today, Canadians, you know, have uh, swiped their credit cards into record levels of debt. And it's an epidemic that's not just outside of the church, we all know, it's inside the church as well. And if you overspend, and then you have, never have anything to give to the kingdom of God because you overspend, you don't get to excuse yourself before your father who is in heaven. With excuses saying, I don't have enough to give. See, giving 
and financial management are spiritual issues. Giving and financial management are spiritual issues, not just financial issues. And if you have a desire to, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> if you have a desire to give, then you have to ready yourself. Giving involves planning. And that, that planning and attitude of being ready to give are marks that God has touched your heart. Oh, I got a plan. Oh, yes. I'm going to do this. I'm going to put my finances in order. And I, it's, it's a, something that happens in your heart. Look at verse 12 again. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. And so for the second time in this passage, Paul tells us that we should give according, not according to what we don't have, but according to what we have. And so, believer, if it's might, then you give out of your might. And you give sacrificially to the Lord. And if it's riches, then you give generously and you give sacrificially. So again, how much? You know, men like me, we like the stats. Zach Cassian's got five goals, doesn't he? I like the stats. Give me the percentage. Well, again, Old Testament, 10%. And Jesus never, he never shut that down. Uh, Luke 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 42 says this, but woe to the Pharisee for you tithe. That means you give 10%. You tithe a mint, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and you neglect the justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Or, you know, we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16 or 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when we get there. And those chapters teach us that our giving should be regular, it should be planned, it should be proportionate, it should be private, it should be generous, it should be cheerful, it should be freely given. We could go on and on and on. And so 10% is a good starting point. Hear that? 10% is a good starting point. Uh, for some, 10% is no near enough. In fact, it's been said, you're not under tithe. Why not give more? Verse 13, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. Um, so Paul says this, look, this is not a get rich scheme for lazy people. You know, we don't give so that lazy people can have their needs met and do nothing. The Christians in Jerusalem were suffering. Were suffering. That's why they were going to give. There was persecution. And you know, uh, there was a spirit, I would say in Jerusalem, there's a spiritual abundance. There was, they, Christianity had been birthed there. And so, there needed to be a, a, a return, a, a blessing of material abundance for the spiritual abundance that had come from there. You know, Corinthians, Corinthians benefited the church has benefited from what had gone on in Jerusalem. It said, send home, man. Look after them. In fact, Paul actually gives this reference back to the giving of the manna. Remember the bread came down from heaven? How the Israelites were instructed to go out and to collect enough for each day. And the day before the Sabbath, they could go and they could collect two days' worth. And they were, they were, they were taught not to take more than what was needed. In fact, the scripture says, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And that's, that's the idea. It's like, you know, 
Nobody starves and nobody hoards at another's expense. Uh, in fact, you could say property and wealth and money and all these different things are like manna. It's bread for you from heaven that God has given you. And it will not bear your hoarding. It, it'll go right in your teeth if you hoard it. Like in the Old Testament. It's like manna. See, all that we have is manna. And riches heaped up at the expense of others will not be blessed in the end. The scripture warns us front to back that God did not bless that. Check out verse 16. We're going to read right through to the end, actually. The commendation of Titus. 16. But thanks be to God, who put in the heart of Titus the same earnest care that I have for you. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he is going to you of his own accord. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for preaching of the gospel. Lots of speculation there who it could be. Lots of people say Luke or whoever. Titus has got somebody else with him that the Lord did not care to mention. Verse 19. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us. As we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. Verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that is being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have often tested and found earnest in many matters, but who is now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and my fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you and these men. What we have here is just a picture of men who were called to the church. Titus was there. And what we find about these men is that they were honorable. They were men of good rapport. And they could be trusted with the riches of the kingdom of God and the, the money of the churches. I, I was, you know, I, I want to thank you for your faithfulness to CTK and to God's ministry here. I was thinking about it a few years ago. Ken Winter and I sat down and some of the others and we just looked at our system of how the offering was collected. And I said, Ken, I said, there's holes here, man. There's, there's room here to improve so that there's no holes here. Is there anything with no funny business? None. But there was room to improve to make sure everything was above reproach. And so we changed the system. The counting happened and where the money went and all those things. And, and Paul sent Titus. Titus was with Luke and whoever else and they were men who were earnest and whom God's people could be confident that they would handle well that which the people of God uh, gave for the work of the ministry. And you know, I, I just thank God for our leaders here in this church who take care of these things and look after these things that they're faithful men, honorable men. And so church, this morning, uh, I hope you're challenged by the act, the great, I was challenged, man. I was challenged this week. Oh man, I gotta look at my finances again. Oh man, God, yes, being faithful, but am I being sacrificed for your kingdom? I don't know what God's calling to you this morning, but I would say this, vows and intentions and resolutions are nothing. The kingdom of God is about action, 
Honor the Lord in that area of your life. Amen.